one Sunday morning, the president is just kind of there. Oh. Guiteau is sitting in Lafayette Park thinking about how great he is, and suddenly he looks up and there's Garfield on his way to fucking church. Oh, no. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Torpedo tubes ready, Captain. Uh, Good, because we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? Henry Ford and Charles Julius Gateau. Ah, I see at least one American hero in there. I cannot imagine what one you're talking about. Uh, Henry Ford? Model T. Only color you can buy is black, right? American hero! Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, uh, I'm getting the Winston Churchill feels here. I get the sense that Henry Ford wasn't as, uh, magnanimous as I thought. Just you wait. Okay. I don't want to wait anymore! Well, let's get down to the history lab. assassin of a beloved public figure, the other the creator of the world's most famous car, Charles Julius Guiteau and Henry Ford, two Americans, one known as a misunderstood villain and the other a businessman and automobile inventor who got too involved with politics. In this week's episode, the tables will turn, the shoe will be on the other foot, we'll do the old switcheroo and we won't know what the fuck is going on. So, Aaron, I I was thinking, if you had to decide... Whoa, wait, 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 what the fuck? Lord history! Confound it all! You weren't supposed to be back until later! You can't be in here! This is our history lab! Get the fuck out, Lord history! I'll be back, you know. I'll be back! Aaron, there's only one thing to do. Yeah, right! Get your guns out! This is an American duty! (laughs) That's so fucking bad! Is he gone, James? Uh, I don't know, but I'm completely out of bullets. Uh, well, we'll have to get more. Yeah. Mm, okay, well, at least he's gone. That's true. Yeah, but I wonder what he was doing How did he there. get in here? How we, did he get in? We gotta beef up our security. Mm-hmm. All gotta, we have is that stupid cat. And that dumb, fake security camera. Mm. What a dumb idea. It's pretty annoying, too. All Thanks, the- Costco. Yeah. <laughs> we did get a lot for our money, though. Yes. That is, that is true. Yes, we did. One plastic camera. Mm. Mm. Okay. Computer, please bring up Henry Ford and Charles Julius Guiteau. Ah, there we go. Oh, Pickles, get the fuck out of here. Stupid Stupid cat. Uh, uh, so tell me, James, what is Henry Ford best known for? Henry Ford is best known for revolutionizing the automobile industry, the standard means of production and treatment of employees. Of course. Uh, He also had a pretty dark secret that is almost never talked about, but we'll get to that. Uh, he stole a horse. Yes. And the horse's name was Power. <laughs> Horse Power? <laughs> oh my god. So, uh, what did he look like? Well, he looks like an American businessman that has way too much money, but not like in a douchebag way, more just in an honest, work hard, make a good product, and care about your workers kind of way. Okay. Oh, uh, he also looks like a perfect Aryan with Northern European heritage. Uh, why do you bring that up? Because Nazis, Aaron! Nazis! Again? It's always... Uh, 
at the fucking Jesus Nazis. Jesus Christ, it's like they shaped this century and the last. Yeah. <laughs> uh, horribly. Uh, uh, so. Like a child chewing on Play-Doh. Yeah. That can't be healthy. Yeah, well, no wonder I'm gonna die at 40. <laughs> oh, I so was that's... that child. Oh. I was that child. <laughs> oh god. You still are. I found those empty Play-Doh containers. You know too much! <laughs> So, what is Charles Julius Guiteau best known for? Well, he's best known for assassinating a U.S. president by the name of James Garfield. What a guy. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. Oh, what did Guiteau look like? Well, in college, I knew a guy who looked just like this, minus the beard, but he had those same steely, unforgiving, crazy, crazy eyes. Uh, without a suit, I think he'd look like that hipster at the climbing wall who's obscenely good at bouldering and wants to show you how to do it right, even though you didn't fucking ask! Oh. Uh, I was a, just like that. A little personal. <laughs> just like that. I want to know what Gateau looked like. Uh, well, I already told you, uh, so there you okay. go. Uh, how about we just roll right over into Henry Ford's early life, then? Sounds good. Okay. So, little Henry Ford was born on July 30th, 1863, in Michigan on a farm. Great. His upbringing is classically American and kind of boring. Nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll just tell you the highlights, because there's quite a bit we gotta get through with this guy. Uh, so the age of at the age of 15... Henry Ford was given a pocket watch by his dad. Henry would often dismantle and reassemble the watch and then went on to fix watches for his family and friends. Nice! He gained the reputation of a watch repairman at a pretty young age. Okay. He also had to walk four miles to get to church every Sunday. Um, uh, and moving on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ford's mom died when he was 13 years old and he was pretty devastated by this. Oh. His father expected Henry to stay on the farm and eventually inherit it. Uh, but Henry hated agri agricultural work and later wrote... I never had any particular love for the farm. It was the mother on the farm I loved. Oh, pretty sad. <laughs> That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Uh, so in 1879, at the age of 19, Henry Ford left... Henry Ford left? Yes. <laughs> uh, Henry Ford left home to work as an apprenticed machinist in Detroit. Uh, he stayed here for three years until he returned home to help with the farm and became pretty adept at operating a portable steam engine. Cool. Don't know what that is. Oh, uh, it's a portable steam engine. <laughs> Uh, what are you gonna do? It's in your pocket. <laughs> oh, oh. Just put it in your pocket and steam away. <laughs> anyway, so this led him to being hired by Westinghouse to service their steam engines. Nice. In 1888, Ford married a girl named Clara Jane Bryant, and he supported the family by running a sawmill and farming. Ah! Then in 1891, he was hired as an engineer with Edison Illuminating Company, and that is where we will leave him for now. How illuminating? As illuminating as a game of Monopoly on cocaine. Wow. Yeah, um, perfect. Go to jail. <laughs> go to directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect... Is it 200 or 500? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, Monopoly. I don't have it. Yeah, well, well. Okay, so I think we'll just move right into Charles Julius Guiteau's early life. Let's do it. And I have a little bit more about his early life than you had about Henry Ford, but well, that's okay, because most you. of this episode's going to Henry Ford anyway, if okay, we're being honest. Fair enough. So, uh, old Chuck was born in Illinois in the midst Fuck. of six other kids. <laughs> <laughs> he spent some time in Wisconsin, and then he went back to Illinois. Why? And I could really stop there for his early life, because no source I can find has more than that. But I will not stop there. That would be silly. <laughs> and no. I am not silly. No. <laughs> when he was still in his teens, he inherited $1,000 from his grandpa and Ooh. set out for Ann Arbor, Michigan, in order to get a college education at the University of Michigan. But the problem was, he was not exactly a genius, mm. and on top of it, hadn't had much schooling at all. <laughs> so, um, he predictably failed the entrance exams, huh. even though he had indeed studied quite hard for them. Mm. And by that, I mean he spent all of his time studying French and algebra and pretty much nothing else the whole time 
he was in Michigan, his father was pestering him, which didn't help matters, mm. so, you know, didn't That's work sad. out. But anyway, uh, things are not all bad for uh, for Chuck, yeah. or I should just say Charles Guiteau, because we're just going to forget that his name's not Chuck. Mm. So Chuck ends up, Charles Guiteau, ends up in New York and joins a utopian cult oh, known as the Oneida community, mm. which in itself is so damn interesting, it just warrants a little side note, and you okay. know I love, love side notes on cults. I love those cults. Mm-mm. So now, the Oneida community was not just some group that uh, Charles Guiteau had just kind of found and joined. His father was a big supporter of the movement, and it seemed that Charles thought he might have found a new calling after being rejected from the University of Michigan. Hmm. The problem with the Oneida community is that it's, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Oneida, um, and that it's, it's probably not super great for a guy like Charles, though. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, the main things that the Oneida community believed um, are as follows. One, they believe in perfectionism, which is to say that those who are truly members of the Oneida community believe very strongly that they never sinned after conversion. Whoa. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, two, they were communal, which is to say they shared everything. Perfect commies. Uh, and three, they practiced complex marriage, which oh. is basically polygamy, but everyone gets to have multiple spouses, not just the guys. Uh, uh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> At least they're equal. <laughs> uh, sounds like hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four, they practiced some small scale form of uh, eugenics. Not cool. Whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, God. Speaking of eugenics. Yes. <laughs> Get rid of me. Yep. I'm poisoning the gene pool. Uh, anyway, so the, the fifth thing that believed that uh, Jesus is coming back, like, yesterday, uh, which is like 70 AD yesterday, how they arrived at that date, I have no earthly idea, and I didn't want to look. So, that's what they thought. Well, 70 AD is when the Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans. Oh. So maybe that has something to do with it? Oh, how about that? I don't know. How about that? Mm. History major up here flexing. How yeah. about that? I know he, my he, history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Charles Guiteau really really likes this community. And the guy who founded this movement, John Humphrey, no yes, no yes, which is it? I don't know. Uh, enjoyed regular worship from Charles Guiteau. And Charles once wrote of noise that noise, I'm just going to say noise. 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 Yeah. Noise. I'm just going to say noise. Noise. Uh, that he had uh, a perfect entire and absolute confidence in him in all things. Hmm. Yes. Now, Charles wasn't just joining this church for the donuts. No, sir. He was very much interested in group marriages <laughs> um, and sought to get involved as quickly as possible. Oh. Okay. Um, but he was rejected so much during his five years in the community that he got the nickname Charles Get Out. <laughs> so uh, he left once um, and started a newspaper on the Oneida community, which he basically called, or basically called, goddammit, he called the Daily Theocrat. But nobody read it, go figure, and he returned to Oneida for a while. But then he got pissed about something else, left and attempted to sue the church. Okay. Yeah, but uh, this was all very embarrassing for Charles Guiteau's old dad. Hmm. After all, the Oneida community was one of his favorite little groups. So he wrote a letter to John Noyes to noise to say so Noyes to fuck. Get on with it. <laughs> so he wrote a letter to John Noyes to say sorry, only to get word from Noyes voicing concern over Charles's sanity. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Guiteau's father became convinced that Charles was possessed by the devil. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> so on the other side of things, however, Guiteau was convinced that he was it was not the devil that was working through him, but the Holy Spirit. Mm. He fought back against Noyes and his own father, calling them antichrists and claiming that all of his actions had been divinely inspired. Oh, God. He compared himself to St. Paul and said that his ultimate destiny in life was to preach a new gospel. What the gospel entailed is anybody's guess because his next move was to get a law license back in Chicago, <laughs> starting up a law firm using the rest of his inheritance. Uh-oh. It did not go well. Oh, no. Yeah. He had only one court case and most of his business was essentially scamming his clients. Oh, of course, somehow, he was married, and his wife knew about all of this. Hmm. 
Uh, but the money wasn't enough, so Guito moved on to bigger and better things. And we will learn more about this when we come back. So basically, it's just the average life of someone from Illinois. Yes. Okay. Yes. And we know because we're from Illinois. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or Wisconsin. Either one. Yes. We we came from the, the frozen ground. <laughs> yeah. uh, Wisconsin is better than Illinois, though. Oh, uh, yes. Of yes, it is. You know. Favoritism. Yep. 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 Okay, anyway. so do, should we take a break or should we just roll right into Henry Ford's adult life? I want to take a break and put a pancake on my nose. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a break, everybody. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Henry Ford's adult life. And we're back to we talk about dead people. And when we left off, we were talking about the dead man, Charles Julius Guiteau. And not dead yet, though, right? Not dead yet, though. Okay. No, I mean, he's dead now. Oh. But not in the show. Oh, you right. see, he's, he's dead in real life. He oh. died, like, hundreds of years ago. He died in the Roman Millions, Empire. billions. Yeah, he was okay. Julius Caesar. That's where the Julius and Charles Julius Guiteau come from. Oh, it all comes full circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's a time traveler, James. A two, Guiteau. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, I'm so, so confused. So, uh, now that we're done fucking around, we should move into Henry Ford's adult life. Mm, okay. So, take it away, James. So, Henry Ford is 28 years old and working with Edison Illuminating Company. Sweet! Yes. After just two years, he was promoted to chief engineer and now had enough time and money to mess around with his own personal experiments with gasoline engines. Ooh. Uh, after a few years of experimentation, Ford created a self-propelled vehicle, which he called the Ford Quadricycle. That's so badass. <laughs> yeah. If they sold a car yeah. nowadays called the Quadricycle, I would buy it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, so what this quadricycle looked like was basically a chair that had four skeletal wheels. Oh! Yes. <laughs> I just imagine those enemies from Dark Souls, those skeletons with the wheels. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. It was made out of human bones. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, so he test drove it a few times and then started brainstorming on how he could improve this horseless carriage. Mm. In 1896, Ford was introduced to Thomas Edison himself, and Ford pitched his automobile experiments to Edison. Okay. Edison really liked where these ideas were going and encouraged Ford to continue experimenting. <laughs> Just imagine Edison in like this this dark chamber with a single light. Yes, yes. <laughs> Carry on with your experimentation. <laughs> Where's that single light coming from? Ah, oh, the light bulb. <laughs> I invented it. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Oh, that's good. Uh, in 1896, Ford was introduced to Thomas Edison, and we already read that. Yep, I mean, okay. said so, that. We're uh, not yep. reading. For, we're not reading. For, we don't have a script, goddammit. Yes. Okay, so uh, uh, Edison yes. likes it and says continue. Yes. And so Ford does what? He designed his second vehicle and completed it in 1898. The Sexocycle. Oh, what the fuck? Because it has six wheels. Sex? Sex uh, is Latin for six. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, but you're wrong. Okay. All right. Well, I knew that. Okay. Uh, okay. So the Ford then resigned from the Edison Company and founded the Detroit Automobile Company on August 5th, 1899. Nice. But there was a problem with automobile manufacturing. Yes. The cars were of a lo lower quality than Ford wanted and also cost way too much. Okay. After two years, the company was dissolved because it could not support itself. Oh, that's too bad. In 1901, Ford, with the help of a dude named C. Harold Wills, designed, <laughs> built, and then raced a 26 horse horsepower automobile. Okay. After seeing this, many of the past stockholders of the Detroit Automobile Company decided to make a new company named the Henry Ford Company and made Ford the chief engineer. Okay. But because of some internal disputes, Ford left the company the next year. Oh, that's too bad. With Ford's absence, the company was renamed the Cadillac Automobile Company. Oh! There are going to be a lot of car names yeah, in this, I'm, this episode. I'm, I'm getting that feeling. Mm. Okay. 
Uh, so Ford then teamed up with an old acquaintance named Alexander Malcolmson, and the two men formed the company Ford and Malcolmson Ltd. to manufacture automobiles. Uh, Ford's goal was to make cars that would be cheap and affordable to the general public. That's a good goal. Yeah. Mm. Uh, sales were really slow, though, and the company found it hard to find adequate funds to buy parts. Well, that's a problem when you're a car company. <laughs> yeah. A uh, disaster struck when the company could not pay for the parts. Oh. Uh, the guys who sold them parts were John and Horace Dodge. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so Ford and Malcolmson paid the Dodge brothers by giving them part of the company. Okay. The company was then reincorporated as the Ford Motor Company in 1903. Ford always gets his name in these, yeah. these yeah. <laughs> company I mean, names. Pretty big guy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it was around this time that Ford designed and created a new racing car. Cool! The car was raced on the iced-over lake of St. Clair and traveled one mile in 39.4 seconds. Holy shit! Which was a new record at the time. Wow! It's <laughs> almost as long as my sex life. <laughs> <laughs> you've, been, you've been alive for 39.4 seconds. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, so the famous race driver Barney Oldfield was so impressed by the car that he, with Ford's permission of course, drove it all over the United States in order to show the public. Cool. And this gave Ford and his company much needed publicity. Oh, we should do that. We should get a car and just oh. drive it all over the United States. Absolutely. It could be shaped like a giant hot dog. That's gonna give the wrong message. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, I think that's mm. patented too. Mm. Yeah, oh, fuck. Well. No. Okay, so, October uh, on 1st. <laughs> on October 1st, 1908, the famous Model T was announced by the Ford Motor Company. Uh-oh! The Model T was different from all other automobiles at this time. How? Uh, the steering wheel was placed on the left rather than the right. Mm. The entire engine and transmission were enclosed. The four cylinders were cast in a solid block, and the suspension used two springs. Okay. So very car-y things. Yes. <laughs> uh, the car was easy to drive, easy and cheap to repair, and was really, really cheap to buy. Nice. It cost $825 in 1908, which is about $22,000 today. Now that's cheap. Mm, yeah. Mm. Uh, Ford also created a brilliant marketing campaign for his new car. He created a publicity department that worked with every newspaper in Detroit to ensure that they all carried ads and stories about the Model T. Ford also sent dealers to every major city in the United States to spread the product. Uh, Ford also specifically aimed sales to farmers because he believed that the automo automobile would revolutionize farm work. Well, he's not wrong, no. but he didn't invent the truck, which is, you know... Mm. 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 The, well, not yet. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, kind of. Did they have a flatbed Model T? I don't know. Who I knows? don't know shit about cars. Neither okay. do I. Uh, for these reasons, sales absolutely skyrocketed. Okay. Uh, by, by the 1920s, most American drivers had learned to drive on the Model T. Ford's market also encouraged other, other automobile companies to copy his ideas, and the automobile business began to soar. Now that is interesting. He encouraged them to copy his ideas. Well, I guess if you're... I mean, the car would revolutionize everything about yeah, life, so... that's true. Everybody wants a piece of that pie. Mm -hmm. The Ford pie. Mm. Mm. Uh, Ford, <laughs> Ford was always looking for better ways to improve his product, and so in 1913, he introduced the moving assembly belts into his... Belts? Belts. <laughs> uh, into his factories, uh, and okay. these led to a huge production increase. Nice. Although Ford usually gets the credit for this idea, it was usually... It was... <laughs> usually... 
James, get it together. <laughs> I need more assembly lines in my brain. Okay. Okay. So Ford, he... It wasn't him, actually, who invented the assembly belt. It was actually a few of his employees who came up with the idea. Ford just put it into place. Uh, by 1914, Ford had sold over 250,000 cars, and by 1916, he was able to lower the price of a car all the way down to $360, which is like $8,000 today. Wow. Insane. Yeah, so by 1918, half of all the cars in America were Model Ts, and they were all in black in color. Wow. Uh, Ford wrote in his autobiography, Any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants, so long as it is black. See, that's the American I was talking about. Yes, an mm. American hero. Pulling himself up by his bootstraps. Mm, yeah. Yes. Uh, in 1918, Henry turned the presidency of Ford Motor Company over to his son, Edsel Ford. Why would you name your kid Edsel? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Edsel? Just name him Ed, goddammit. Yeah. Just name him Ed. Edsel. Mm. Mm. Uh, so, but Henry was always the final authority on company decisions, even though his son was president. Oh. Yeah. Uh, then Ford started another company named Henry Ford and Son, and took all of his best employees from Ford Motor Company to his new company. Um, okay. This scared all of the Ford Motor Company stockholders, and they immediately sold their stocks before the worth dropped. This was all according to Henry Ford's plan, though. Oh. Ford and his son then purchased all remaining stock and now had sole family ownership of the company. Whoa. Mm, yeah. uh, mm, I don't know. He's a good businessman, yeah, I guess. I, just, mm -hmm. a, I would say not a good businessman. He's a clever businessman. Uh, that's a good, good way, yes. Okay. Sneaky. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so by the mid-1920s, the Model T sales began to decline due to rising competition. Okay. Other auto dealers also offered payment plans to their customers and also began adding all sorts of new mecha mechanical features to their cars, which Ford refused to do to the Model T. Interesting. Weird. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, by 1926, Ford was forced to make a new model car because the Model T was pretty much outdated. Yeah. The result was the Ford Model A, which was introduced in December of 1927. So he's got the Model T. Mm -hmm. He's got the Model A. 24 letters to go. He's got a little T and A. <laughs> yeah. That's what drives him. <laughs> T and A, and it's what drives half of America. Right. <laughs> oh my god. What I'm, is going on? I am 12. Okay. Uh, so, Model A. Model A. Yes. How did it do? In four years, four million of these cars were sold. Mm, so, a lot more A than T. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> Fuck off. Gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, we should talk about Ford's labor philosophy. Okay. Uh, turns out that he was actually pretty amazing to all of his workers. Well, that's surprising. Yeah. And you know what? It is fucking hot in here. I need to turn off the heat. Yes. And uh, we don't have heat in here. It's just a bunch of people with yoga mats, and that's heating the place. But I need to turn it off. Are you insane? <laughs> back from that absolute nightmare. That was not a planned break. No, it wasn't. Okay. So we were talking about his workers, weren't yes. we? Yes. Okay. So he actually treated his workers pretty well. Uh, he believed in what he described as welfare... Welfare... What, what was, is wrong with us? Okay, welfare capitalism. Welfare capitalism. All right. It basically means a capitalist econ economic structure, but with social welfare safety nets. Okay. It, it's kind of what a lot of European nations use today. Kind I of see. Interesting. So uh, what did this mean, actually? Uh, well, Ford started by absolutely astonishing the world in 1914 by offering to pay workers $5 a day, which is about $120 today. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and this was about twice the amount that the average laborer made. Whoa. Ford also had a profit-sharing program that rewarded 
rewarded his employees who were most productive and had good character. Sounds like a good system. Yeah. Uh, he believed that happy and healthy employees would work harder and better and benefit the company more. Uh, really? Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Ford also introduced the five-day work week, which sounds odd to us now, but back then it was revolutional. Revolutional? Revolutionizing. Revolutionary. Revolutionary. Oh, that's the word. One of the words. Okay. <laughs> At first, the five-day uh, work week was 48 hours a week, but then that was even reduced to 40 hours a week, which wow. is kind of what we have today. That's amazing. Uh, again, Ford thought that free time for employees would make them better workers during the work hours, and he was absolutely right. His workers worked really hard and well. That's not surprising at all. Still, no. though, there were labor unions. Ah, okay. <laughs> and Ford did not like those pesky labor unions. Oh, of course not. Uh, he thought they were too heavily influenced by leaders who would end up hurting workers more than helping them. Okay. Basically, productivity of the company would mean better lives for workers, and Ford saw labor unions as getting in the way of productivity. I see. To stall union activity, Ford hired Harry Bennett, a former Navy boxer, uh. <laughs> as head of the company's service department. Um. So basically, this giant ex-boxer was used to intimidate labor unions. Just the g he must have been big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, are, there were some other goons as well, but this guy was in charge. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Uh, the most infamous case regarding Harry Bennett occurred in 1937 and became known as the Battle of the Overpass. Oh, God. Uh, the event occurred after several union worker organi organizers began spreading pamphlets that said, Unionism, not Fordism, hmm. and demanded that workdays only be six hours long and workers be paid $8 a day. Wow. Which is like $133 today. Uh, okay. uh Yes. So these union organizers were asked to pose for a picture by a newspaper photographer when they were suddenly attacked by what? members of Ford's company's security. Oh, shit! The men were kicked and punched and thrown downstairs, picked up and slammed on the ground, and the whole thing was pretty rough. Wow! Okay. <laughs> uh, but of course, guess who was there? The newspaper photographer who had just wanted to get pictures of the union guys in the first place. So the photographer basically captures all the violence on photo, and then these photos make it to the newspapers, and Ford's public favor just plummets, even though he claimed he hadn't sent the security guys. Suspicious. He still hired him. Yeah. I don't know. And gotta say, the pictures are still out there, and they're pretty funny, so oh, go okay. look at them. Well. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of all the important stuff regarding his career. Uh, he made airplanes for a while, but this stopped when the Great Depression hit. Bummer. So let's talk about Ford's political views, because he had quite an impact on politics. Okay, so American Hero's political views. Let's yes. go. Yeah, I can't be wrong. No. Uh, a point in Ford's favor was that he was absolutely opposed to war and saw war as just a terrible waste. Now that's really interesting because he could really profit off of a war. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, he also believed that wars were basically started by people who would profit by the war. Oh, which is uh, I also see. Interesting. So he yeah. has a problem with it. I yeah. Mm. It's, it seems like a genuine moral problem with yeah. it. Uh, now, to give this guy credit, he really hated World War One and did quite a bit to try and stop that insanity. Uh, yeah. And I have to give him credit for that because the rest of his views are... Um, terrible. Uh, what? We'll get to that. What? Okay. Uh, so during World War One, Ford and 170 other prominent peace leaders actually toured Europe in order to try and bring about peace. Okay. They were pretty much just met with ridicule, though. Oh, that's too yeah. bad. Uh, so when America joined the war in 1917, Ford's company supplied a ton of weapons, airplane engines, and anti-submarine boats to the war effort. In 1918, President Woodrow Wilson himself told Ford to run for senator in Michigan on the Democrat ticket. Ford did run and came very close to winning, but lost to Republican Truman Newberry. Ah, uh, I know Truman Newberry. Mm, we all do. Yeah, he's the true man, the Newberry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, so what happened next? Well, you know what time it is. Uh, what time is it, It's James? time for World War II. Oh, shit! There it is again. Oh, God. 
Again. Yep. So when World War II came around, Ford was very much against it and thought that international business, instead of international war, was the best way to improve things. He also thought the war was a conspiracy and, uh. and insisted that war was the product of greedy financiers who sought profit in human destruction. Oh. That's a quote, actually. That's a quote, okay. Yeah. He never liked or trusted FDR and hmm. did not like how America was inching closer and closer to war. Ford continued to do business with most European countries, including Nazi Germany. Uh, uh oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not at war with them, right? I, no, so it's no. not really bad, bad sense. No. necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but once the U.S. entered the war, though, Ford did his patriotic duty and started pumping out war machines. Did he also stop selling to the Nazis? I think so. Okay, yes. perfect. <laughs> uh, we're not done with the Nazis, though. We'll be back with them later. Oh, shit. Uh, at its height, though, Ford's company was completing a B-24 plane in 18 hours, with one rolling off the assembly line every 58 minutes. That's insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, but problems were arising with the company. Uh-oh. Ford's son, Edsel, died prematurely in 1943, and Ford had to run things entirely by himself. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, but his old age and series of continual strokes was weakening the man, and so he didn't run the business very well. The U.S. government actually considered taking over the company in order to continue war manufacturing, uh, but nothing ever came from this. In 1945, when the company was on the verge of bankruptcy, Ford's grandson, Henry Ford II, mm. was made president, and Henry Ford started becoming less important with the company. Ah, so he's fading out. Yeah. Okay. But now we have to talk about the big stain on Henry Ford's character. Okay, but come on. He's an American hero, yeah. right? Okay. And so far, like, everything he's done is pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, here it is, though. Oh, God. Turns out Henry Ford really, really, really hated the Jews. Oh, for fuck's here sake. Here we are again. Oh, God. Uh, and this is odd because Ford wasn't really a racist to any other people group, it kind of looks like. Huh. Uh, in fact, Ford actually hired black workers, and this was not something common or well-liked at the time. Okay. He also hired women, handicapped people, and people with special needs. Well, oh, so, so his weird. dislike for the Jews is a bit bit odd, um, but that doesn't make it better, of course. Okay. Uh, so let's take a look at Ford's anti-Semitism. Uh, yeah. Not that we like to talk about it. No, but you gotta know. You gotta know. It's the truth, yeah. so there you go. Uh, to start, Ford published a weekly newspaper called the Dearborn Independent for eight years. Okay. Every Ford franchise nationwide had to carry the paper and distribute it to the customers. And what did this paper say? Uh, basically a ton of right-wing extremism, religious prejudice, and anti-Semitism. And Ford became the figurehead of this extremist movement, kind of. Uh, whoa. And he believed the Jews were the source of all the world's problems. Really? Yeah. That I hope you have a quote for that. Uh, I, I do. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. <laughs> He said, If fans wish to know the trouble with American baseball, they have it in three words. Too much Jew. Oh! Just disgusting. nasty. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, unsurprisingly, Ford's newspaper became extremely popular in Germany with the oncoming what? of Nazis. What? <laughs> it became popular with Nazis? What the really? Fuck? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the Dearborn Independent was issued in four volumes in German uh, with the new title of the International Jew, the World's Foremost Problem. Wow. Yeah. Uh, in 1924, Heinrich Himmler himself described Ford as one of our most valuable, important, and witty fighters. Oh, oh, when you got Heinrich Himmler complimenting yeah. you. Oh. Something's wrong. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Ford is also the only American mentioned favorably in Mein Kampf. He's in Mein Kampf? Yeah. What the shit? Uh, Hitler wrote of, wrote of Ford. 
Only a single great man, Ford, who, to the Jews' fury, still maintains full independence from the controlling masters of the producers in a nation of 120 million. So now he's got Hitler complimenting him. Yeah, oh, not God. good. And it continues. Fuck! In 1931, Hitler spoke to a Detroit news reporter and told the reporter that Henry Ford was his inspiration. <laughs> no! Yeah. So, oh, God damn it! <laughs> Henry Ford is inspiring Hitler. Oh, uh, Hitler also kept a life-size portrait of Ford next to his desk Ooh. and revered Ford. That is insane. Yeah. Uh, Hitler once proclaimed about Ford, I shall do my best to put his theories into practice in Germany. Oh! And modeled the Volkswagen, which was the people's car, after Ford's Model T. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, now, Ford claimed that he didn't really know what his newspaper was saying and that he had only read the headlines, but this was eventually disproven. Even though Ford didn't actually write the anti-Semitic stuff, he, uh, he knew it was there and still published it. Ugh. Now, thankfully, a lot of Americans really didn't like his anti-Semitic stuff. Good! Yeah. President Wilson rebuked Ford for his views, and a coalition of American Jews and liberal Christians organized a boycott against Ford products. Wow. This eventually led to Ford ending the newspaper in 1927, and Ford also publicly apologized for the newspaper. Well, at least that. That doesn't yeah. make it right, though. No, mm -mm. and most believe that this apology was simply to get business back rather than being heartfelt. Well, I believe that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the majority of Americans appreciated the apology and Ford got hundreds of letters from Jewish Americans thanking him for his apology. Oh. Which is kind of cool, I guess. I, I guess. Uh, but Ford was still very anti-Semitic. His public apologies may not have even been signed by him. Oh! And there's some debate about this still Wait, today. how can it be a public apology if he doesn't deliver it publicly? Like... Well, I think it was a written apology oh. in a newspaper. So somebody or else wrote it. I got it. Yeah, right. and then he signed it or didn't sign it. Anyway, Ugh. yeah. In 1940, Ford stated that he wanted to start his newspaper up again. What in 1940? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, wasn't it running in the 20s and then yeah. World War II's breaking out and yeah. Well, I guess I mean had had the. Had the uh, persecution of the Jews in World War II really come to light by 1940? A little bit, but not quite. That happened with the Wannsee Conference, which okay. is a little bit later. Okay. Uh, it's still not a great time to be a Jew in Germany. No, uh, no, it's not. Yeah. All right. So, in 1938, right before World War II began, a German consul attended Henry Ford's 75th birthday and gave him the award of the Grand Cross of the German Eagle. Uh, what's which that? Which is the highest medal that Nazi Germany gave to foreigners. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Now, near the end of his life, Ford stated that he wished the world would eventually reach a place where racism was dead. Uh, uh, but this is kind of sketchy, and the harm was already done. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. Uh, during the Nuremberg trials, Hitler youth leader Baldur von Skirach, Skirach, something uh, like that. I don't that. know, uh, He was in charge of the Hitler youth. This okay. guy, uh, he had also personally deported 65,000 Jews to concentration camps. Well, he made the statement, The decisive anti-Semitic book I was reading and the book that influenced my comrades was that book by Henry Ford, the international Jew. Whoa. I read it and became anti-Semitic. Wow. The book made a great influence on myself and my friends because we saw in Henry Ford the representative of success and also the representative of a progressive social policy. Whew. Man, you can put progressive on anything, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. When you're used as a def by a defendant in the Nuremberg trials... Yeah. <laughs> not good. Yeah, not yeah. cool. No. 
Okay, so now a few more things about Ford's life that are worth mentioning. Alright. He believed that international trade was a great thing and that it would improve everybody's lives. He famously said, No matter where industry prospers, whether in India or China or Russia, the more profit there will be for everyone, including us. All the world is bound to catch some good from it. Okay. I so, guess. pretty good. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> uh, Ford's company had plants in Australia, Britain, Argentina, Brazil, Canada, mainland Europe, India, South Africa, Mexico, and the Philippines by the 1930s. Woo! Also by 1932, Ford's company was manufacturing a third of all the world's automobiles. Wow. And for all you conspiracy theorists out there, Ford was also a Freemason. Uh-oh. And said once that masonry is the best balance wheel the United States has. Uh. uh he also believed in reincarnation. Of course. And he was also really against smoking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he published an anti-smoking book to be circulated uh, to the American youth in 1914. The book was entitled The Case Against the Little White slaver. What? Uh, I'm not too sure how I feel about that. Uh, 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 yes, but it was cool because the book claimed that cigarettes had all these negative health effects, which is exactly the opposite of what American health experts and doctors were generally saying at this Another time. Another reason we shouldn't trust doctors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Doctors are all untrustworthy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so anyway, Ford was also really into car racing, but nothing too interesting there. Look into it yourself if you want to know more about that. Uh, I'm tired of talking. Okay. That's, that's basically all the interesting stuff. Well, shit, I didn't know all that about Ford. Yeah, so American Hero, except for the part about all the uh, anti-Jewish stuff. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty fucked. And nobody knows about it, too, like... Well, that's, that's really frustrating. Yeah. Um... He's an American hero. Yeah. He, yeah. Mm. Uh, I guess. Not really. Uh, I mean... No. <laughs> and that's the, that brings us back to what we were talking about with Churchill, where... Right. It's like, this was a great man, but not a good one, you know? Exactly. Like, he yeah. clearly influenced the world on a huge scale. For the better, in a lot of and, cases. Yeah, in a lot of ways, um, he influenced the world uh, for the better, but like... At, this yeah. racism just keeps coming up. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's like an ugh. ugly tumor. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it is. It's, it's messed up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, speaking of ugly tumors, we should talk about Guiteau's adult life. Okay. Now, if you remember, uh, Charles Guiteau, Charles Julius Guiteau, mm -hmm. uh, was fucking up his law firm pretty badly right. in Illinois, um, and he decided to get the hell out of the business altogether. So now what's a crazy, possibly demon-possessed man with useless law license and a history of calling himself a prophet to do? Well, obviously, go into theology! Uh, <laughs> and that's why he's a perfect pick for me. <laughs> yeah. um, so he writes this big fucking book, creatively entitled The Truth, <laughs> which he pretty much stole word for word from John Noyes. And if okay. you remember, John Noyes was the leader of the Oneida community. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so the book was a total dead-ass failure, even with <laughs> Guiteau traveling all over the place to sing his own praises. Often he would just lose himself to religious fervor and ramble on and on to whoever would listen. He got one lecture slot at a church in Washington, D.C., but everyone hated him, so he left. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, he ends up in Boston. Boston Corbett. Callback! Oh, there he is. He ends up in Boston and leaves with substantial debt and a few thefts under his belt. Oh. <laughs> and boards a legendary ship called the SS Stonington. <laughs> is it? Yes, that's Stonington. Stonington. Yeah. Um, and it's legendary because... Because... Why? Well, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, the Stonington leaves port and immediately gets lost in heavy fog. Mm. Not great. No. And then it collides with a ship called the Naranganset. Narragansett. Oh. I think it's Narragansett. 
The Stonington manages to limp back to port with Guiteau on board, but the Narragan set explodes into flames and sinks right the fuck away. Oh, shit. Pretty much everyone dies on oh. the Narragan set, and nobody dies on the Stonington. Oh, but Charles hey. Guiteau thinks that this is divine intervention, that God himself stepped down and spared him from this terrible tragedy in order to preserve Guiteau for a higher, more substantial duty. <laughs> um, maybe Satan came up from hell and helped him survive. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, he, go back, he goes back to shore and starts reading about this guy named Ulysses S. Grant. I've heard of him. Yeah, who he likes a lot. Mm. He writes a support speech for him so he can go around essentially campaigning for the guy, because at the time, uh, a lot of people thought he would run for president in 1880. However, Grant loses the nomination to a man named <gasps> James Garfield. Oh, shit. But Guito doesn't really mind much. He just changes his support speech to say Garfield instead of Grant, <laughs> and then starts this wild tour where he delivers this speech a staggering two times to absolutely fucking nobody. <laughs> However, Garfield wins, and Guiteau, being completely narcissistic and insane, is convinced that he won Garfield the election single-handedly. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So he said that his speech alone had saved Garfield's shot at the presidency, and that without him, he never would have become the president. Hmm. So he contacts the White House and even the president himself, because you could do that back then, I guess, <laughs> and demands to be made an ambassador to Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> Then he changes his mind and said he would actually prefer Paris. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, and that's an obvious one. Mm. But anyway, so here's a bit of one of the letters he wrote to President Garfield. Being about to marry a well- Oh, this is a quote, by the way. Okay. Yep. So, <laughs> being about to marry a wealthy and accomplished heiress of this city, we think that together we might represent this nation with dignity and grace. On the principle of first come, first served, I have faith that you will give this application favorable consideration. Okay. Of course, there was no wealthy heiress. In fact, at this point, Guiteau only had a few bucks to his name and was eating off the dollar menu at McDonald's. Oh. You know, so... Oh. Anyway, Guiteau keeps jumping up in there. <laughs> Guiteau keeps jumping between hotels in DC, not paying for shit, and writing letters to Garfield as well as personally bothering Garfield's staff. Oh, gosh. Finally, they tell him to just fuck right off, and that's when Guiteau finally snaps. Oh, no. He starts forming a plan, one involving dynamite, and then abandons that because he's afraid he might blow off his own hands or, you know, kill bystanders. Oh, okay. Now, his concern about bystanders was pretty simple, actually. He described collateral damage as being, quote, too Russian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he said he preferred to do it in a sensibly American manner. All right. So he considered a knife, a stiletto to be exact, but decided that Garfield was just too fucking big to try to take on with a knife. <laughs> and here's another quote. He would have crushed the life out of me with a single blow of his fist. Uh, considerable concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So finally, Guiteau settled on the most American of weapons. Trans fats? Uh, no, the handgun. <laughs> oh, He right. claims that his plan is to sneak up on the president and just shoot him in the back. He also admitted at the trial that he had no plans of escape. Oh. And the trial for the, you know, thing that's about to happen. Oh, great. Here's another quote. Of course I would be executed, but what of that when I should become immortal and be talked by all generations to come? Talked of. God damn it. God damn it, Guiteau. <laughs> but we are fulfilling his prophecy, though. We are talking about him. Oh, shit. And you're right. Generation. Shit. Oh, God. So, oh, well. anyway, Guiteau spends his last few Big Mac dollars and gets a loan from a friend. He has friends? Ooh, and he yeah. buys a short-barreled revolver. <laughs> he chooses this gun in particular because he thought it would look great on the inevitable museum exhibit after the assassination. <laughs> he thinks about everything. I know. <laughs> so he takes his toy and starts shooting at a fence outside of town and somehow concludes that he's an excellent marksman. 
Oh, God. Now, Guiteau really wanted to kill the president, but he didn't want to make him suffer. Oh. He saw Garfield as a threat to the, quote, harmony of the Republic, and decided that while he needed to be removed, he didn't need to be, like, you know, made to suffer. Or oh, whatever. okay. Didn't need to be a big deal. Oh, so right. he spends a few weeks <laughs> shooting at fences and cleaning his weapons, scouring the newspapers, looking for an opportunity to squeeze off a shot at the president. But one Sunday morning, the president is just kind of there. Oh. Guiteau is sitting in Lafayette Park, thinking about how great he is, and suddenly he looks up, and there's Garfield on his way to fucking church. Oh, no. So, so Guiteau runs back to his hotel room that he will never pay for and <laughs> retrieves his pistol, but concludes that he couldn't possibly shoot the president in church. Right. I mean, the man has scruples. <laughs> <laughs> so the next opportunity he has, he finds Garfield at a train station in New Jersey, but backs, backs down from killing um, killing the president when he sees the first lady. Oh. Why? Because she's so sick. And Garfield is helping her along like a good husband. Oh, no. Guiteau then says to himself, I cannot take this man's life now. No, the country must wait a while, because if I shoot that man at this time before his wife, it will kill her. She has just recovered from a long spell of sickness, and she does look so badly. Oh. I don't know how I feel about it. It's kind of weird. He so. really cares about everyone else, it yeah, seems like. Except for Garfield. Fuck that guy, well, right? But he shouldn't suffer. No, but he shouldn't suffer. Yes. So anyway, he shows mercy another time when <laughs> Garfield's son shows up at Guiteau's chosen assassination spot. I mean, what the fuck? The man has a family. Whether or not they're standing there with him, <laughs> yeah. killing their father and husband is going to be bad anyway, you fucking jerk. Well, yeah, yeah. Guiteau needs to... He needs get to out. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to get out. Uh, yeah. But anyway, Guiteau is depressed because he still hasn't killed the president. Mm, been there. So with that sad piano song from the Peanuts playing in the background, Guiteau shuffles along through Lafayette Park just outside the White House. Hmm. And then he sees the president literally just stepping outside for some air. Can you believe this, by the way? That would, like, never happen nowadays. <laughs> no. Then Garfield just decides to walk a few blocks to visit the Secretary of State. Huh. So Guiteau stalks after him, but can't get himself to pull the trigger because he's afraid his bullets will hit somebody else. Yeah. Oh. So he doesn't sleep that night. Instead, he just writes a few letters. One in particular goes to a guy named General Sherman. Oh, that guy. Uh, yeah. And says, quote, I have just shot the president. I am going to jail. Please order your troops to take possession of the jail at once. That's right. He's asking General Sherman to bust him out of jail after he assassinates the goddamn president. So the next day... Oh, dear. <laughs> Guiteau picks up his girlfriend. Wait, what? He has a girlfriend, oh. and he tells her... You told me... Oh, fuck. I gotta go say the voice. You told me one day, not so long ago, to do something that would make me famous. Just keep in... Th just keep that in mind till you see it accomplished. Huh. Ominous. Yeah. Oh. So, when she asked him what the hell he was talking about, he told her to wait and see, and left her to go to the train station where he knew Garfield would be. Hmm. Drawing his pistol, he approached the president from behind, shouted, This is your hour of doom! And shot the poor fucker in the back. Oh, no. Garfield immediately turns around and stares Guiteau directly in the eyes. Oh. 
Guito fires again and hits Garfield in the elbow. Oh. And everybody just starts panicking, of course. Right. And Guito tries to calm the crowd by shouting, It's alright! over and over <laughs> again before he was disarmed by a nearby police officer. Oh my god. Now, remember that thing that Guito had said about not wanting the president to suffer? Yeah. Well, he did! Oh. For 24 hours, oh. he was poked and prodded by unsterilized and filthy doctors oh. trying to find the bullet. Oh my god. This causes sepsis. Oh. So they injected him with morphine, got him sick, and then gave him champagne? What the fuck? Which made him even sicker! And get this! It takes 80 fucking days for the poor man to die! And I'm not even gonna detail it because the shit he went through is fucking terrible! They fed him such medicines as whiskey, opium, and milk! And the poor bastard shed almost a hundred pounds over his time in bed! Oh my god! Now, apparently the president was a total Jesus the whole time. He never once complained, and even cracked a ton of jokes throughout the whole ordeal, okay. even when temperatures in his room reached a hundred degrees. Oh, poor Garfield. Yeah, so anyway, right after the shooting, Guiteau is thrown in a paddy wagon and taken to the station. On his way, Guiteau tells the officer riding with him that he's going to make him the chief of police, police when he's in charge. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so now he's going to be in charge. Okay. Um, at the station, they ask him to remove his shoes, and he says no because he'll, quote, Catch his death of cold. Uh, a photographer takes his photo and Guiteau demands 25 bucks as a royalty payment. So now he's demanding that he's like the leader of America or yeah, something? Yeah, it was sudden, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. But anyway, we're going to come back to him. Don't worry about that. But for now, I think we need to go to Henry Ford's end. What a death. couple of scumbags we have. Yeah, on this really, though. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, so back to Henry Ford. Uh, he didn't do too well in the later years of his life. Strokes and sickness were common. He also had mental breakdowns, was mentally inconsistent, very suspicious of everybody, and couldn't really run the company. Well. Uh, so like I said earlier, Ford gave the company to his grandson, Henry IV II, in 1945. Henry IV II. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Henry Ford died two years later on April 7th, 1947 from cere cerebral hemorrhage. Oh. Which does not sound nice. That sounds painful. <laughs> Uh, a public viewing was held for a day, and about 5,000 people viewed the casket every hour. Well, shit. Uh, so, his legacy is what we're told in school, like right. the Model T, assembly line, increased wages, 40-hour work week, and blah blah blah. So, good things, um, but what's always left out is how he hated the Jews. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Uh, so I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it here, mm -hmm. even though it's not nice to talk about. No, it's not. But, but again, that's kind of a theme now, is that we have gray characters most of the time. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they did great things and really shitty things. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So an American hero with a dark secret that's never talked about. So really just a really successful American, but shouldn't probably be a hero. No, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, can we go back to Charles Guiteau? Yes. I, I want to finish this story. <laughs> I want to hear it. Okay, so when we left Guiteau, he just shot the president and had been taken to jail, and now things get real weird. Wait, more weird? Yeah, it gets weird. Oh, no. Uh, in jail, Guiteau sends letters out to the press, apparently enjoying being famous for being a giant piece of shit. Mm. He sends a letter addressed, apparently, to every news source in Chicago and tells... <laughs> Uh, them? That he's gonna write a book called, quote, The Life and Theology of Charles Guiteau, which he expects them to publish. Oh, okay. He also said that he was gonna make so much money from this book that he could post bail and head out on a fucking lecture circuit to talk about religion and politics, which would make him apparently enough more cash to get him attorneys somehow capable of getting him an acquittal? 
He's got a plan. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Guiteau is in prison for quite a while. People are still waiting for the president to die or come through so they know what to, you know, charge Guiteau right. with, whether it's murder or attempted murder. Yeah. But when word comes that the president has died, Guiteau fell to his knees and praised the Lord. Oh, God. He then wrote a letter to the new president, Chester Arthur, telling him he ought to be grateful for getting him a $42,000 raise. What a douchebag. That is so douchey. <laughs> he finished his autobiography, by the way, which I kind of want to read, yeah. and also included a note at the end about that he was single and looking for, quote, an elegant Christian lady of wealth under 30 belonging to a first-class family. Wow. He still Scum. had a girlfriend yeah. <laughs> and a wife, I oh. think. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, so at one point, Guiteau pissed off some guard who shot at him and missed. Hmm. The citizens of D.C. donated a whole bunch of money to get the guard for this... Uh, I'm sorry, to the guard for this act, but <laughs> he was still sent to prison for eight years. Oh, poor guard. With some extra cash in his pocket. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, most people are expecting Guiteau to plead not guilty on account of insanity, which, right. to be fair, would probably at least come close to working. His brother-in-law advises him to plead not guilty for reasons of crazy, and also because it wasn't the gunshot that killed the president, but medical malpractice. Hmm. But Guiteau would have none of it. Of course. He was thoroughly convinced that he was the only one qualified to defend his life on trial. Hmm. So his first defense was that he was legally insane, but not actually insane. Okay. Which would be an insult <laughs> to his intelligence, as he said. No, Guiteau claimed that he was legally insane, not actually insane, on the grounds that the Lord God in heaven had temporarily revoked his free will and made him do it. Oh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so the this trial begins, with Guiteau literally calling his lawyers blunderbusses. <laughs> uh, now, the prosecution has the duty to prove that Guiteau actually killed the president, which they do by producing as evidence President Garfield's actual fucking spine what? to show that the bullet had been the cause of death. Oh. And it worked. Oh. And we, when Guiteau left for the day, a drunk farmer named Bill Jones took a pot shot at the assassin and missed. Oh, oh well. Poor Bill Jones. Yeah. Anyway, there's a whole lot of fascinating, informa fascinating information about this trial, which makes it a landmark case for insanity defenses. I'd love to see it made into a movie, honestly. Yeah. Um, prosecution and defenses just go back and forth with claims and counterclaims and expert testimony. Hmm. At the end of it all, Guiteau asks to close his own case, which the judge denies based on an objection from the prosecution, but later lifts so that Guiteau can speak. Hmm. He, get ups and he gets up and sways back and forth, sings a song called John Brown's Body, okay. compares himself to George Washington, <laughs> and then sits down. <laughs> the jury deliberates for an hour and comes back with a guilty verdict and a sentence of hanging. Good. <laughs> but Guiteau doesn't give up hope. He writes to the new president, President Arthur, and reminds him that he's the one who got him the presidency. <laughs> he asks for a pardon. He doesn't get it. Good. Guiteau then shouts, Arthur has sealed his own doom and the doom of this nation. Wow. Now, originally, Guiteau planned to be hanged in only his underwear so as to remind the people uh, of Jesus, <laughs> who died wearing very little. <laughs> yeah. But someone told him this would make him look insane, so he abandons this plan. Right. Uh, they walk him up to the gallows, or rather, dance him up to the gallows, because that's exactly what he did. What? He reads 14 Bible verses in a religious poem of sorts from a sheet of paper. The executioner puts the hood over his head and tightens the noose. Then, he honors an arrangement he made earlier with Guiteau. Okay. Simply, when Guiteau decided he was ready to die, he would drop the sheet of paper with the poem on it and go to his death. Oh. Guiteau drops the paper, the floor falls out from under him, and he dies instantly at the end of the noose. Wow. His body was preserved for medical research, and 
his brain in particular was examined very, very closely <laughs> after his death. Right, yeah. Now, Quito's uh, legacy and acts had a major effect on the legal world. Hmm. Nowadays, most who study law seem to think that Guito was indeed insane and that his execution might have been a miscarriage of justice. Hmm. Uh, the case comes up now and again in defense of those who might be considered legally insane, and as a result, court proceedings over time have become much more scientific when it comes to claims of insanity. Oh, good. Back then, the prosecutors simply called Guito's acts uh, a vicious sin and left it alone. But hmm. now, with years of scientific study behind us, it is much easier to see that Guito was actually just mad and not just evil. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. in fact, research on Guito's brain revealed that he might have had neurosyphilis, which oh, is God. exactly what it sounds <laughs> like. Uh, other assessments show that Guito suffered from grandiose narcissism and schizophrenia. Oh, God. A criminal psychologist named Kent Keel diagnosed Guito as a psychopath in 2014. So, there you go. If, Quite a legacy. Yeah, if it had happened today, he probably would have, you know... Well, you know, I say that. But there are a lot of crazy people who go, you know, go down just because public opinion is against them. Right. Yeah. Um, but hmm. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to even sit here and say that if he did it today, he would get off. No. I don't think he would. I well, think he'd the, get off in a different way. Oh, God. <laughs> I think the defense, I think the defense would be stronger, probably more acceptable. Yeah. Um, they'd make a great movie about it, but he would still lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, true. Well, I think it's time to head back to the surface. I think it is too. All right. To the surface! <laughs> so, James, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Uh, eat lunch. Twice. You already ate lunch twice. And what is your point? Fat ass. Fuck you. Well, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to We Talk About Dead People podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and nod along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to buy one stupid donut helps tremendously. If you're strapped for cash or just want to donate and do this, please consider liking, sharing, subscribing, doing whatever you can to help us out. Out. Um, our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. And with all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of stupidity play you out. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs>